Bobby Seale is going through all types of physical and mental torture. But that's all right, because we said even before this happened, and we're going to say it after this, not that I'm locked up, not that everybody's locked up, that you can jail a revolutionary, but you can't jail a revolution. Right. You might run a liberator like Eric Cleave out the country, but you can't run liberation out the country. You might murder a freedom fighter like Bobby Hutton, but you can't murder freedom fighting. And if you do, you'll come up with answers that don't answer, explanations that don't explain. You'll come up with conclusions that don't conclude. And you'll come up with people that you thought should be acting like pigs, just acting like people and moving on pigs. And that's what we've got to do. So we're going to see about Bobby, regardless of what these people think we should do. Because school is not important and work is not important. Nothing's more important than stopping fascism because fascism will stop us all. Hello guys, welcome to the 1804. Um, today we'll be discussing mainly um, the French training going on uh, that's about to go down in Haiti. We'll touch on that. Um, potential help from uh, the Canada, but outside of the Haiti, um, in terms of setting up an office in the Dominican Republic. We'll get into that as well. And also some a three-part article came out for Canada Files that I want to cover some basis um, with you guys in there too. It's a great article. I recommend you guys to go read it. Um, I'll share with you guys once we get to um, that point. Okay. So first off, we had a tweet here from uh, Fabrice Maurier. Um, he's the ambassador to Haiti from um, from France, and he has a tweet here: um, arrival in Haiti on June thirteenth of the first raid team, who's Purpose will be to train SWAT police officers for one month. They will be, uh, they will then be able to train their colleagues. Cooperation between Haiti and France in favor of Pan-Ash officials continues closer to the field. Um, so basically, um, it's not the first time they've done this um, in the past. There's been French um, training. There's always been Canadian French um, training as well as just current um, U.S. training down there in terms um, to help form a, a SWAT team. Um, a Haitian or, or a, a Haitian a, a special unit for Haiti. Because um, back in also March, I'll read this here. From March 1st to March 15th, this is from ECIEC.com. From March 1st to March 15th, uh, two experts from the elite French unit, research assistance, intervention, dissuasion, raid, provided training for the benefit of 35 new um, agents, newly assigned to the Brigade d'Intervention et de Recherche of the National Police of Haiti. The agents of the BRI engaged in a fight against gangs, took part in the course, which made it possible to provide the basis of intervention of the anti-gang units. Um, during the training, many training sessions were carried out in various contexts, such as urban guerrilla warfare, arrest in closed um, environment and on public roads, intervention with armored vehicles, etc. So it's not the first time they've gone down. <clears throat> and now my only thing with this, right, um, surface level it's, it looks great they're providing help for the police which actually does need support and help and they could use um some training as well however 
when you look at the basis of it, why, and this is to where, um, like two ways, why are they there for only um, one month? What type of meaningful training in terms of police officers, what can they really get out of this um, for a one month training based on um, the ambassador from France to Haiti had tweeted that they're going to do um, here in the, in this, the CIT article doesn't show how, Oh yeah. Shows that here from each, um, they were there for 15 days earlier during the year, about two weeks to a little more than two weeks. Um, so what, in terms of help, I don't see how they can provide meaningful help or training to Haitian national police, considering the fact that they're only there short term, they go there for two weeks, leave here, there for a month and then leave with a type of different course. Um, even in training and practice repetition, I believe repetition, repetition is important too. So I don't know how many real life um, scenarios or um, pra um, practices that the Haitian National Police will um, have by um, by doing this as well, because um, there's one with training. There's obviously there's no curriculum and all that posted, but I'm sure there's not enough that you can learn in one month that will that you can apply for a long term um, problem in Haiti, which is basically insecurity. Um, and mainly helping find gains, considering the fact that they're heavily, um, most of them, at least the bigger ones, are heavily funded, right? Um, so these are the things you got to look in terms of international help. And I'm, I'm, this is why I always try to compare, um, and all two different situations, but I always try to compare the help we're seeing here relatively to help um, the money that is getting poured to Ukraine. Um, so you got to look into that too. And just to give you an example, like, for example, um, Haiti, we had um, Canada and U.S. help deliver, I think it's four or five so far um, armored trucks for the Haitian National Police, which is great, which was purchased. Then again, some of them, I think most of them were purchased um, by the government. But we've got about five or six um, down there um, armored vehicles as well, um, training, too. Um, and then you compare that to what the. Canada or U.S. are giving to Ukraine in terms of just weaponry. Um, it's you can see the contrast, and I'll just get it here. Um, this is from this is it's, it's an accurate list, but this is the all the help from. Um, if you go in on Wikipedia, list of military aid to Ukraine during the Russia-Ukrainian war, it'll give you all the help from each every country that contributed. It'll give you help. Oh, I realize I'm not sharing my screen. Give me one sec here. Yeah. List of military aid to Ukraine during the Russia-Ukrainian war. So if I just go to Canada, and I'm not even talking even the financial help. That's a different discussion. But even the weaponry, um, military gear. There's one specifically. So that's the type of weaponry they're using. Eight Leopard 2A4 tanks. If Haiti and just um, for example, if you provide a Haiti police training to operate those tanks, and then they potentially use those tanks to go out, I'm sure they would be great help as well compared to the armored vehicles as well. That they've have they they even have um, weapons to destroy the armored vehicles. A few of them did get destroyed. Um, there's videos of that too. Um, Thirty nine armored combat su support vehicles. So if you look closely. These look a lot like the armored vehicles that that um, Haiti's been purchasing and some of them donated by Canada and 
um the u.s but look at this more heavy duty one available and keep in mind ukraine i know it's a different situation but when you really look um when you really look into it the war you'll see the war was really provoked by nato and the u.s but that's besides the point but which one i'm trying to make here is that they've gotten 36 of these right and they didn't even have they barely had to ask for it and they've gotten 36 and Haiti's scrapping for like five six Imagine if we had even 10, 16, 20 of these warmer ground to take down gangs and more people able to use it. It would definitely help. And these also look like they're more heavy duty and more um, equipped to take down. Well, obviously the war, um, the war machines, war vehicles, but they're war, more equipped to take down the gangs and what they've been using or been getting um, donated by the by Canada and in the U.S. as well. And just to go into financial aid, $2.45 billion in loans, uh, half a billion, a little more than half a billion government to Ukraine, $35 million for mine clearing, and another $34.6 million for fuel and other equipment. And then if I go down, this is my favorite one, the U.S. And keep in mind, I know there's a war going on too, but if you look at all this equipment here, and I don't even want to get into the financial comp- the the finances and how much they're getting as well. But our personal care is 300 M113s, uh, 200 armored medical treatment vehicles. That'll be great too for the poor zones down in Haiti that do actually need help. And since there's no actual like um, health system or hospital system down there as well, this type of equipment would be um, very resourceful for doctors, nurses, or any type of clinics, because most of them are, cl- are clinics out there, um, to get help and bring people in um, into these hospitals and clinics for help as well. Um, now, back to actually the now military equipment. Over 10,000 Javelin anti-armor systems, over 60,000 other anti-armor systems munitions, over 4,000 tube launch optically tracked wire guided. So a bunch, basically a bunch of anti-tank um uh, missiles as well that were donated and then if you're going to the ammunition 68 trucks and 124 trailer transport heavy equipment six armored utility trucks so not compared to but you'll see if when a country actually does want to provide help um they do it with it without a heartbeat and no questions asked and look at how much they're getting provided um to do so and then compare it to haiti really that makes you try to wonder, well, is it really trying are they really trying to help or there's other do they have other intentions um in this type of you um constant foreign aid and military intervention as well? So just wanted to point out um back to the back to the in terms of the the police training. I don't think it's gonna do much really in the long term. I think it's good just I'm sure some of the police will retain some of the whatever the French um, the French uh, police or SWAT, you know, I don't know what they are. <laughs> the French trainees, whoever to come in to train them, they'll they'll definitely get some some knowledge out of that. But in terms of long term help, it won't make much of a difference. So we'll see how this goes. But there's always going to be some constant training. It's the same thing when after the little after the coup d'état, um, there were Canadian troops um, training Haitian National Police, but really. Um, well, that's another story for another day, but it didn't really provide in the long term. It didn't really do much.
So next up, we have um, News Canada to coordinate Haiti aid from Dominican Republic. So this is from an article from June 15th that I'll get into in here. Um, Canada will coordinate an aid operation to Haiti this summer in response to the Caribbean nation's volatile security. Canadian Foreign Minister Manny Jolie said on Thursday while announcing fresh sanctions against a former politician and a famous singer. Um, Canada will lead an effort for, from the Dominican Republic, Julie told ministerial meeting, in a bid to coordinate international aid, including funds, equipment, and technical support for the country's embattled police force. Julie did not say why Canada would work out of the neighboring country, which has deported tens of thousands of Haitians fleeing the crisis, but said a team would also work from Haiti's capital and Port-au-Prince. So I'm not going to spend too much um, time on this, but I just couldn't wrap my head around and the fact that um, they I thought it was a, would be a good idea to install this um, um, this in Haiti. I mean, sorry, not in Haiti, well, in the Dominican Republic, considering the fact that you already have a bunch of embassies placed down in Port-au-Prince, why would this special office be located outside the Dominican Republic was really weird to me. Um, later on, there was an article that came out, um, said Dominican Republic, Canada disagree over the police um, aid office. So I have it here. And before I get into it here, it's like if it's a safety, if if it were a a um, safety issue, I can I, I can understand a sense like, yeah, you don't want it. Um, maybe not in Port-au-Prince, but at the same time, you've got about you've got the embassies there in Port-au-Prince. All the embassies are in Port-au-Prince. Why wouldn't you have this aid office in Port-au-Prince or um, Haiti, because you don't have to put it in Port-au-Prince as well, right? Um, I, there's another quiet you can put it in Cap Haitien, which the same it's the same place. Not to say that it's um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lie to you and say it's completely safe, but um, definitely more quiet than Port-au-Prince, and that's where they even held the jazz festival. I believe it was this um, earlier earlier this year. That's where, and part of it was organized too by government of Canada. So. Um, this was really weird to me. I know in terms of Canadians, Dominican Republic is, is a popular travel destination um, for them as well. Um, I can see maybe they're like, okay, well, since it's on, on the same island, we can get away with, uh, not get away with it, but it wouldn't kind of, it would kind of fly under the radar. But um, in terms of, I don't see how you can provide help outside the borders. Like if you're going to be providing help and funding and support, the most efficient way would be doing it within the country because you can't be i can't be looking at this and be okay with it and then um people from diaspora are looking at for example all the politicians and senators that just they get the position and they live in the they spend their time in the u.s and they don't really focus on helping the country it's about the same it's really almost the same thing right um and now in terms of um if the argument is putting if the argument is they didn't really say what the argument is, but if the their th- um their thinking process was all oh, Dominican Republic slightly is safer, um well, there's this thing called the um this is from 2022, but the Global Peace in um index, and I'll read it what to what it exactly it is. It's a comp- composite index measuring the peacefulness of countries made up of 23 quantitative and qualitative indicators, each weighing on a scale of one to five. The lower score, the more peaceful the country. So you have here in the top 10, Iceland, New Zealand, Ireland, um, Denmark, all in order, by the way, Austria, Portugal, Slovenia, Czech Republic, Singapore, and Japan. So these were the top 10 in terms of safest. 
And then obviously, if you go down the list, it goes down to the more dangerous countries. And then you go here, 81. Dominican Republic has is 81 on the list. And then if you go down the list a little further down, 115, you've got Haiti rating at a 2.25 compared to uh, DR at um, 1.99. So based on this, yes, um, Dominican Republic is um, safer and more peaceful. However, considering the list of country, the amount of countries in the world, the gap is really not that far from each other. Comparing a 1.99 rating to a 2. Point, oh, sorry, guys. Give me one sec. Yeah, 2.25. It's not a big gap. And even here, if you zoom in. So obviously, the darker colors mean it's more. Um, actually, let me get this more accurate here. There's a legend here. Yeah, so. This is a legend. Red means more um, less peaceful. Green means more peaceful. Um, white means no data. And then light gray means more peaceful. Um, now, if I go into even compare, and this is look at, and this is what's funny to me based off this. Um, Haiti and Dominican Republic, well, the topic of Haiti is actually more a more peaceful country than the United States based off this. Um, um this index right and yet this is the country that's trying to support and this is the same country that's trying to support haiti and trying to eliminate gangs and trying to make it a safer country and get it get the gang well mainly, mainly get the gangs out of here and uh, sort of citizens can actually live a life and all that but they can't even take care of their own stuff and based off this united states needs just as much as help as haiti in terms of doing this right and this leads back again to what I'm saying in terms of what are their real intentions in terms of pouring foreign aid into the country, um, in terms of supporting and then propping up some of these um, puppet governments, right? And obviously, we had to talk, I had that talk with Steve from the Timbo podcast in terms of a multipolar world and how Haiti fits into this context. And we'll get into, I want to get into the Canada, um, Canada Files article shortly, but you'll see here. Some of the intentions maybe for what? Well, maybe control, right? Um, and then goes back to the Monroe Doctrine back from 1823 when President Monroe said, he basically in his speech, he said, they will not allow any European powers trying to colonize countries in their backyard. So when they're in the Western Hemisphere, basically. Um, and now today, modern day now, you're seeing foreign policies towards some of these countries as well to kind of contain them in this realm of the U.S. or um, you can say NATO and specifically for for Haiti would be in the realm of the U.S., Canada and um, you can say France or mainly the U.S., right? Because if you look at it again geographically, it was the same thing with the Cuban Missile Crisis, same thing with the Nicaragua, um, DR's coup d'etat as well back in, I believe, the 50s or 60s. It's right in their backyard, right? So... They want to keep it that way and keep control of um, their region and also um, the markets too, making money. A lot of imports from the U.S. going into Haiti as well um, and uh, as well as other Caribbean countries. But um, on the topic of Haiti, a lot of them are going to Haiti. So so this is from the Nouvelliste. Um, and according to the Canadian ambassador to Haiti, Sebastian Carriel, he had no clue, but I'll read it here. Uh, well, no clue. Sorry, give more context. He had no. He can't. He said he can't comment essentially on the Manny Jolie statement. But I'll just read it here. L'ambassadeur du Canada Haiti, Sebastian Carrier, 
interrogé par le Nouvel ce vendredi, a indiqué n'avoir pas la compétence pour réagir à la déclaration du chancelier dominicain. Um, le diplomate canadien a cependant réagi au mécanisme de cette coordination annoncée. So before I even get to that, I almost forgot to show you the article because um, day after, Dominican Republic Canada disagree over Haitian aid, police aid office. So I'll read it here. It's from Reuters. As Haiti's police struggles to, to contain powerful armed gangs, a disagreement between Dominican Republic and Canada spills out in the public on Friday for the complicating an international plan to boost Haiti's un, outgunned police force. In a post on social media, Foreign Minister Robert Alvarez, former minister for Dominican Republic, said no deal has been struck, adding that the Dominican government has not even discussed, discussed such a plan. In a subsequent statement to Reuters, Canada's foreign ministry said it continues to work with 20 countries and international organizations to strengthen the Haitian police and boost security, pointing to ongoing talks to finalize a location that will support the group's work in geographical proximity um, to Haiti. So... That's the point out. So even the Dominican Republic is saying, like, we have no clue this was going on. So I'm just even more, again, more confused as to why she didn't put that statement out, because usually they're more prepared for this. Um, they wouldn't say um, these type of things if there was some type of maturity. I don't know if maybe she's trying to test the waters and see the Dominican Republic would kind of would agree with doing so. Um, who knows at this point? Nothing has come out, but we'll definitely follow it and see <clears throat> if, if this aid office will come to fruition and if it does if it'll be installed in haiti next here i've got this article from the canada files called canadian imperialist in haiti part one leading an intervention to restore haiti's ruling class written by travis ross travis ross is also um writes for canadian haiti info project um he's written for it liberté as well um and this is the uh, canada files as well they do great work and kind of provide stories, well, at least for the Canadian readers, provide stories that um, a lot of mainstream media wouldn't necessarily cover as well. Um, so props to them. I'll get into it. I'll get into it. I'll get into it here because there's three parts. I, I won't get, uh, I won't read all of it. However, I encourage you guys to do so because it's very, very good and gives you a very um, good summary of Canadian, especially Canadian. Well, it's titled Canadian imperialism in Haiti, but Canadian imperialism, but also um, the U.S. in there as well. So I encourage you to read it. Um, I'll get into it here and give you really um some of the points, the more important parts for me, and what struck me the most as well. On April second, a Haitian solidarity group come debut pour la dignité, demonstrating in front of Prime Minister Trudeau's office in Montreal. Their main demand is that Canada intervene in Haiti. The organization president Wilner Cayo spoke to 200 demonstrators, all members of the Haitian diaspora, according to a journal, the Montreal Report. He told the demonstrators that they want serious commitment from the Canadian government and that Canada can make a difference. So basically, people from the Haitian diaspora are asking for an intervention as if they haven't seen <laughs> past attempts. Well, but not attempts, successful interventions and seen how the country was left after. Right. <clears throat> um, anyway, I'll leave it there for now, but we'll get into it. In an October 8, 2022 letter to the U.N. Secretary Council, Guterres explained that the Haitian National Police is spread thinly. According to Guterres, some 13,000 officers reportedly assigned to law enforcement activities in Haiti. Important, importantly, only a third are believed to be operational, undertaking public security functions at any given time. The number of Panache officers is believed to have dropped to somewhere between 9 and 10,000. The UN calculated that Haiti has a ratio of police officers to a population of 1.06 police officers per 1,000 inhabitants. 
This is nearly half of the UN's suggested international ratio of 2.2 per 1,000 inhabitants. So basically, um, they're pointing out that the Haitian National Police is is outnumbered. And why this is a problem? Well, even for if there was like, assuming, let's say, we know most of gang activities in Port-au-Prince, but they don't even have enough national police. So let's just say there was something going wrong um, in most of the country. There's not even national enough police to support um, most of the population, um, even half the population. So they don't have enough. Um, they don't even cover that much ground in Haiti as well, since, again, people leaving to the U, a lot of police leaving to the U.S. Because then again, why would I get paid um, the pay for the pay that they're getting for the job they're doing is, in my opinion, not worth it. Um, I, I condemn them for doing it. Like, I'm not concerned condemn them <laughs> i mean i support them for doing uh for, um for doing it um most of them seem like they're very patriotic people too that are trying to do better for the the country but i don't blame the people that that leave um the police force as well like it's a, you're basically risking your life every day especially in these conditions for the amount you're making sometimes it doesn't seem worth it so if support for the pnh becomes slow but steadily Flow of foreign ministers and military personnel into Haiti, the number of foreign officers could easily match or outnumber the current numbers of PNH officials. So essentially what they're saying is, so if like, and I'll get into it more here, give me one sec, leading to a foreign orchestra by a different name, the support can be framed as a Haitian-led, as relative to a Haitian um, handful of Haitian PNH officers who will continue to have a likely more symbolic role in anti-gang police operations. So essentially what I was saying here that now, this police operation, this police force is not like depending how many troops would get on the ground, it would not be hard for them to outnumber to at least, if not matched, then outnumber the Haitian National Police. And then at this point, this this police, this 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 narrative of a supporting the Haitian National Police by will really look like um, kind of like a foreign intervention, but not their face attached to it here. And I'll get into it more. The reality is that an international police force of, of three to five thousand police would certainly lead to foreign officers having a significant and direct effect on daily life in Haiti. Support for the PNH is simply a foreign military invention by another name, as Travis stated right here. So, like I said before, it's not that easy. It's not that hard for them to outnumber, depending how many um, police forces they bring they bring in. And at that point, it would be although it's like a Haitian led, um, it would look like a Haitian led force. Well, if you look down the numbers and who's coordinating the planning, it would be outside troops, right? And then again, just a different form of international intervention. An investigation by author Nick Barry Shaw and Drew Ojaje revealed that the RCMP provided training and vetting to the new Haitian National Police, which brought back many of the members of the feared National Army of that had been disbanded by Aristide. Aristide being the former president um, of Haiti that suffered two coup d'etats in 15 years, I believe. Yeah, 13, 13 years. This followed Canada's active role in the coup that plunged Haiti into violence and chaos from which has yet to have been recovered. The investigation shows that the RCMP trained Haitian National Police were frequently accompanied by U.S. and Canadian soldiers and later United Nations forces. As they embarked on a series of forays into the poorest neighborhoods of Port-au-Prince, Pinash killed innocent civilians, imprisoned political descendants, without charge and drove Kiasi supporters into um, hiding and exile. So this is what happened. This is literally, so last time there was an intervention of this magnitude. This is literally what happened. It was led while training from the U.S. 
from U.S. and Canada. They went into these poor neighborhoods where Adirsid had popular support, and then they conducted massacres, basically. Like a lot of supporters, and he didn't mention a lot of them. Um, some of them died, but no one to put into exile. A lot of people, like pop from the population, were killed either crossed in in crossing of the um, um uh, of gunfire or direct involvement from the police, um, the police and military intervention as well. Once it became came to once it became clear to the Washington Accord Group that any attempt at military intervention will be rejected by the Haitian people and blocked at the Security Council, Gatao's second option for intervening in Haiti was accepted, supporting the PNH. Uh, and this is back what Travis is saying in terms of now they're tr they're really just focusing on, okay, let's support PNH, but how are they doing so? Well, let's see if we can get a security force in there. I mean, uh, a special-led um, force. And this is why you saw earlier during the year um, the buck, then again, I keep I keep mentioning this in my past episodes, but the U.S. had asked directly Justin Trudeau to lead an intervention. And then Justin Trudeau had gone through CARICOM and asked some of the Caribbean leaders to do so on behalf of Can um, Canada and the U.S. And this is another point quote here. And this is back to the thing I was talking about, the the raid, the the special um, training that France is providing to Haitian National Police for one month. Um, and which they have also done back in March, from March 1st to March 15th. They had all the French um, came to Haiti and provided some training to the police for two weeks as well. So now a total of six, about six weeks. But here, I'll read it here. In a recent interview with Matt Galloway on CBC Radio's The Current Show, retired Canadian General Tom Lawson, a former chief of defense staff for the Canadian Armed Forces, was blunt in his assessment. Six months is really a bait on the end of a hook to any country that might lead or contribute to a force here. And by six months, he's referring to um, uh, if they were like they were talking about in terms of duration of a of a military invent, uh, invention. And six months was a, a time floating around to apparently eradicate the gangs. So I'll continue here. We're not talking about we're not talking about six months. We're not talking about a couple of years. We're like, likely talking about talking five to 10, 15 years um, because we're talking about nation building. We're not talking about establishing a safe and secure area for the government now to get to its task. We're talking about a non-functioning government. So we're talking about a nation building. And that's in terms of like we've seen in Afghanistan and in Iraq decades. So there's been repeated evidence that shows that military invention doesn't really work yet. Some people are calling for it. And I understand why. And Travis does mention it in, um, I believe, part three of this this article, because some people in the diaspora, too, are like Travis mentioned, are desperate, are desperate because some of their families are getting affected by these gangs and then they're forced to pay out lump sums to pay these gangs to maybe free potential family, mortgage a house, take out um, take out um, loans as well. So, so I explain the point. I can see where they're coming from mostly most likely from point of desperation however you can see in this article too military invention in the past and even former uh, defense staff for canadian armed forces tells you it's not realistic how they want to go about it because if they are going to provide help and want a million military intervention it'll be at least if they're going to be serious about it it would have to be more than five years at least this is just, that's just my opinion they're talking about decades I'm saying like at least five years for them for that to be actually have if 
interventions did work, I'd say meaningful change. But in case we already know, and with past examples, not just with Haiti, but with other countries in Latin America, Africa, um, the rest of the Caribbean, military interventions do not work. And if they do, it's for very, um, you'll see it's for, um, it's it's slight it's it's like I said, it's putting a bandaid over it. it's slight fix for example and there's numbers showing it that after um the coup d'etat military invention supported by u.s canada and france um, crime rates not by a lot but it did go slightly down in haiti but then it picked right back up a few years later but regardless it did have an effect for a couple of years in the country uh, now i want to get to part two of the article and this is talking about the, um, I'll go, I'll just show you guys the title. K-Imperialism in Haiti Part 2, Haiti's Control Opposition and Global Fragility Act. I'll just get to the Fragility Act part here. So what is the Global Fragility Act? So I'll read it right here. And this is from the um, congress.gov, directly from the U.S. government. This bill directs the Department of State to establish the Integrity Global Fragility Initiative to destabilize conflict-affected areas and prevent violence globally and establish funds to support such efforts the state department shall devise a plan to the initiative including its organizational structures and goals the state department shall lead in foreign policy diplomatic and political efforts the u.s agency for international development shall lead in development humanitarian and non-security policies so they haven't given much info on what exactly what type of help and what type of um what it entails on long term they'd say it's something they're going to report to congress every couple of years or so when they did announce it back i believe in uh 2019 um but it hasn't been given much details on it so i'll get into the global fragility act here canada quietly endorsed the american global fragility act in early 2020s a single statement by canadian embassy in the u.s stated that canada celebrated the passage of the global fragility act and if you know um u.s is the big daddy of canada in a sense that Canada, in terms of military power, in terms of like their power on the international stage, it is all because they're um, basically supported by the U.S. and NATO. Whenever U.S. has a um, has these certain interests, Canada is always there to do their bidding, no questions asked. Up until recently, now I see that the countries, not to say they have backbone, but somewhat some backbone, um, when Trudeau invested, said they don't want to directly intervene into the country but yet he's asking the caribbean nations to do so so there's that as journalist kim eyes noticed in recent articles although global fragility act was passed with bipartisan support under trump in 2019 it has remained under the radar he explains that the gfa is essentially a new alliance of usaid know-how with pentagon uh, muscles to achieve this the u.s plans to integrate the u.s diplomacy development and security sector engagement in haiti in other words the state department its humanitarian and arm USAID and the Pentagon will all work in close coordination. I've explained that this means that the new DOS, USAID, and DOD complex will effectively take over Haiti. If Washington gets his way, thereby returning the country from a neo-colony back into a virtual colony as it was from 1915 to 1934 when U.S. Marines occupied and ran it. Nonetheless, the U.S. would try to keep some Haitian window dressing. The GFA's broader context was playing when Indiac was originally rolled out Fran Z. Brown, a senior fellow at the Canada Endowment for International Peace, views the GFA's bilateral agreements with fragile states. 
as a way to prevent China and Russia from preying upon weak governance, reflecting their opinion on many U.S. think tanks. So this is and then this is going back to the multipolar world. You'll see the rise of China on an economic le um, economic level as well and where they're going in terms of providing um, assistance. And I'll continue here and get back to it. A successful partnership under the GFA between Haiti and Washington will ensure that Haitians remain under U.S. hegemony for decades. This would also block diplomacy and investment from countries like China, who have as recently as 2017 offered 4.7 billion USD infrastructure project. And the link Travis linked it to the Huff, um, Huff Post article here. 4.7 billion dollar Chinese development project advances in Haiti. Okay, so. I'll read it. I'll get into it here and then back. We'll go back to the Canada, the Canada Files article. Um, it looks as if China is willing to make a good on its agreement with Haiti for the renovation of Port-au-Prince. In a letter to Zi Yangjiang, an advisor to China's Southwest Municipal Engineering Design and Research Institute, Port-au-Prince Mayor Ralph Yuri agreed to accept the Port-au-Prince Municipal Renovation Project. The project connects proposal a proposal for water and drainage works, road improvement, environment mental projections, drainage, and sanitation, a communications network, and reconstructions of the old city of Port-au-Prince. Uh, the initial infrastructure investment of, is $4.7 You can read um, the letter here. Um, so keep in mind, it's not that the project got approved to, to start working on. The proposal at the time um, got approved as well by the mayor at the time. So this is a show, and this is what you can... Um, um, this is what real aid and um aid looks like, right? How many times have the U.S. has been, and Canada have been in Haiti, and what have they actually um uh like built some like meaning meaningfully to help the country? Nothing, because at the end of the day, like Canada and U.S. they don't owe anything to Haiti. Like I'm not naive and think, oh, they should do this and do that. They do that. They don't owe anything. However, when you're talking about actually helping out, like people are not stupid. Like I can see contrast. Just look what they're giving to Ukraine compared to what looking to Haiti and look like and look at what they're giving to Ukraine and say like, well, if Haiti could even get half of that, what Ukraine is getting be like, oh, OK, maybe they're trying to do something here, maybe help. They're not they're not putting all of this is just for control. Um, you can see it here. Why? Even with the Global Fragility Act, they don't want China or Russia going into um, Haiti for two main uh, uh, two reasons to in terms of proximity. Um, same way NATO um, with the NATO alliance, um, a, a country like U.S. can install its missiles on Na in, in NATO countries and by, um, same thing. Well, any NATO country, um, I could see something where BRICS does the same thing. Let's just say, for example, Haiti was a BRICS nation and then Russia or China wants to put their missiles right uh, in Haiti, right under the U.S.'s nose. U.S. would panic, right? It's the same close, same thing that happened with the the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, once, once they realized that Russia was was um, or well at the times so that the Soviet Union was shipping, <laughs> we're about to build. Um, um, we're sh sorry, I don't, I don't want to butcher this. We're building a a, a, a a missile down there that was pointing up to the U.S. or near U.S. proximity. That's when um, JFK had ordered all those boats to kind of blockade um, the shipment of the missiles, and then without people are calling this all oh, potential World War Three because. You literally saw the freaking um, boat coming down and then the U.S. Uh, U.S. Marine blocking, um, blocking the shipment, uh, naval blockade, what you call it. That set up a naval blockade. That's what it was. 
um, uh, blockades. They don't, they want them going. They don't want them going um, in the countries as well. And long-time beef between the U.S. Um, and um, Russia, um, and then economically, um, China is a threat to the U.S. with the de-dollarization of the U.S. and the Chinese yuan gaining, gaining slowly but gaining po um, popularity. Um, they feel um, threatened by that as well. And just to get into what is China's massive Belt and Road Initiative, um, the Belt and Road Initiative is a massive China-led infrastructure project aims to stretch around the globe. And so this is what I want to show you guys here. So this is the Silk and Belt and Road Initiative um, that, China, that China, you'll see that China is basically in all these countries right here. So a lot of former colonies, mainly a lot of the African states. So they have some, at least one, some type of project going on in these in these countries on the Silk Belt Road Initiative. And if you go look here, they're slowly penetrating Latin America and the Caribbean. You'll see that Uruguay, Chile, Peru, um, Venezuela, um, Guyana, and Bolivia all have joined into the Silk and Belt Road Initiative. And a lot of these countries are some former countries that U.S. Um, either has interest or have had interest in them in the past. You'll find Costa Rica, Panama, in there as well and also cuba and if you know the beef between um us and cuba at the time of the missile crisis um when i think i believe uh, um yeah russia well at the time the soviet union was installing uh kind of a um i don't want to say missile station but a missile down in cuba that was right under the nose of the us and then jfk ended up um, setting up a naval blockade uh, because to stop the the shipment of um, the missiles I'm setting get, that were getting set up in Cuba, and then all the false narratives of Fidel Castro came out and all that. But a <laughs> different topic for another day. But that's it's a similar issue here, um, where you can see China slowly penetrating into the Latin America, and then uh, so now for Haiti, a country like Haiti being friends with Russia or China, it's a threat to the U.S. especially as well because two. Um, which I think one is one of not main one of the main reasons too is their geographic location right under the nose of the U.S. A country like U.S. who has a nine hundred about nine hundred military military bases across the world. Um, if China Russia had to set up something in Haiti or somewhere in the Caribbean, it would be right under their nose, which would be a threat to them, obviously. To continue, Jean Moïse, who was assassinated over two years, learned that this lesson the hard way, mirrored by corruption increasingly insulated from Haiti's oligarchs, Moïse established former diplomatic relations with Moscow only one month before the, his assassination. Accredited Russian ambassador Serge Melek Bagdarazov, it was the first time Haiti had established diplomatic relations with Russia. Many argue that this was the factor which led Washington to greenlight the Mo to Moïse assassination. Indeed, Washington has good reason to fear Haiti's building, um, fear Haiti building diplomatic relations with Russia. It was common to see Haitian flags flying, Russia, Haitians flying Russian flags in street protests over the past year. Haitian economist Boza Glan explained that Haitians see that Putin has defied the West through the invasion of Ukraine and smell the advent of new world order where no one country will be calling the shots. In one, in other words, a multipolar world may work in favor of Haitians, according to Anglad. Haitians have been paying attention to global events and are sending a clear signal to the United States. All right, I encourage you to read the rest here, especially the part manufacturing consent for the uh, Global Fragility Act. But mainly in here, you'll find that 
Um, nothing's changed much in terms of the U.S. tactics, just different times, different ways of doing it. But at the end of this, all the aid that the U.S. is um, that Haiti is getting, all this training that they're getting is not to, out of the sole heart of the U.S. or Canada, but try to establish to maintain and establish control over their neo colony, I would say. Next up, this is something I wanted to address on. It's an article from Solidarité Quebec IT. So an activist group based in Quebec, Canada. Um, basically just trying to help out and try to spread the word on and helping out Haitians, trying to spread the word on what's going on. So um, I'll just read something here. Um, Haiti continued to live and breathe as a nation despite the destruction of Haitian states by local oligarchs and imperialists from the U.S., Canada, and France. So the denial, of Haitian, the denial of Haitians' rights to exist as a nation is often reflected in the mainstream and is often some alternative media outlets by a tendency to ignore what Haitians have to say when they are part of organizational political entities or social movements. This is aligned with the racist belief that Haitians cannot govern themselves and need white series to fix their nation for them, to pick their leaders for them, to speak for them at UN um, at the UN Security Council. So this is the part here, and I don't know, I think I'm just going to go assume... I think they're referring to um, journalists based in New York that spoke to the Security Council, providing his view of what's going on, which is a different view from the mainstream media. I don't know how you can be an activist group and yet you're not you're like you're you're shutting down potential other 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 um, possibilities of what's going on in Haiti and shutting down discussion and debate. Right. Like if you're going to activist group and you actually care about the country, you'd have you'd have to take for me, at least you'd have to take information with open mind and look at it rather than stay in your opinion with and staying within your strength and um, keeping your opinion like there's new information out there. There's documentaries out there that you can watch and show you alternative things that mainstream media is not essentially showing you about Haiti and then form your opinion. Right. Um shots being sent out through like articles and shutting down discussion and making you be the end all be all is not really helping the cause and not really um, providing meaningful discussion um, for the diaspora or even Haitians down in Haiti as well. And then again, this article is mainly just a summary. Like it's not even like, I don't even know what this is. Honestly, it's just kind of saying what's going on um what's been going like just a slight update of uh what's going on in haiti um and what the organization solidarity quebec it has been doing um regardless uh regarding that uh now i'll get into there's another line here that they said sqh does not ride on the same bandwagon as those who keep striving desperately to paint revolutionary uniforms into lone avengers or rogue vigilants whom the haitian people have long identified as PHTK, uh, white lords and imperialist allied um, criminals. And again, I'm assuming they're sending shots to people that are looking at Jimmy Sherry's and not as a legitimate gang member, meaning in drugs, killing and raping, but more as a revolutionary fi figure of kind of defending the vulnerable neighborhoods in Haiti that have been ravaged by gangs themselves. I think this, um, then again, this doesn't lead to more meaningful discussion if, SQH has an issue with people that are essentially look um, taking um, looking at Jimmy Sherry's here as a, a, in a different light. Um, then they should go up and debate them rather than write a statement and then essentially just act like you're the end all be all 
And it's the same people that are calling for uh, um, an intervention uh, as well, which I don't understand. So I think oftentimes, and I don't know if this is me, I think sometimes it's ego or some people are too um, close minded, especially some I'll, I'll talk. I'll say this, especially the older um, generation, Haitians, a lot of close mindedness um, and unwilling to to change their opinion based on new information or even look at new information to change uh, to maybe change their opinion. A lot of them are stuck in the ways. A lot of um, um, proof out there that, that is showing you how Jimmy. Then this is just I've always said this is just my belief. You don't have to believe have the same opinion as me. I don't think Jimmy Sherizier is part of the gang as the mainstream media makes him to uh, makes him seem like he is. Um, I think he's more of a revolutionary figure. I don't think that if Jimmy Sherizier saw me in the streets roaming around, um, he had he'd have intentions of kidnapping me. I don't think he's in there like his gang is doing that they're more protecting the vulnerable neighborhoods in haiti mainly based in port of prince as well um now with that being said um that's i changed my i have this opinion based on the information i have see i have an open mind i can i can look at information on both sides and then based on that information i'll make my decision and, and shape my opinion and what's important for um groups like uh so quebec IT to do is to do the same thing right you already have a platform right a platform that people follow yet you're shutting down discussion and what you're doing is actually detrimental to helping the country uh dialogue I, this is me but if you're gonna rather than shutting down and making it seem like and that you're completely right which like you can't be like the amount of times and like I can give, I'm sure I'd be able to give them many times. Mainstream media have probably fooled me, me too, but fooled them to thinking something that's not because it's the same mainstream media that would have made that would have made Patrice Lumumba, former president of Congo, that was assassinated. Um, former president of Congo, right after God independence, the mainstream media would have made him seem like he was a dictator. We would have looked, we would have been reading here in Canada back in 1960, looking like looking at as if Patrice Lumumba was a dictator and needed to go you know what i mean it's the same it's the same tactic so i'm not surprised that they do have these opinions um because especially for the older generation if you're going to be keep if you keep reading and watching mainstream media um you're going to believe you're going to keep believing what you're reading um now with that being said though i don't think it's um necessarily good if especially these people are like older beauties like people are like in their 40s 50s and they're <laughs> shutting down discussion on other uh, potential um, possibilities of what's going down in Haiti and are taking the mainstream media narrative. So I find it funny, but hopefully um, they'll change their, not their opinion, but they'll change their ways because I'm sure a lot of them have not seen the documentary Another Vision by Kim Ives and Dan Cohen showing that a lot of them, uh, well, Jimmy Sherizier is not essentially a gang member. And you have to ask yourself, why is he the only gang member that's sanctioned by the UN when we know there's Katsamaozo and Vitalum and other gang members that are conducting kidnappings? And why is he the most accessible out of all the gangs? He why is he the most accessible guy to mainstream media? Like when mainstream media needs to go interview gangs in Haiti, he's the guy that they go see. Why is he so accessible if he's that dangerous? These are questions that people need in at SQH need to start asking themselves too. And I'd be happy to talk to them and debate them about this and bring on other stakeholders as well, not just me. 
um to get a discussion going onto this because i think it's really important um moving forward anyways that's just me guys thank you for tuning in um and take care i'll see you next time